This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, this is AC. The Doc Project is not coming back in the fall. So over the summer, we're bringing you some of our favorite episodes since the show began back in 2015. This episode originally aired in February of 2019. So who is Danny Filipitas? Danny Filipitas is a longtime officer with the Toronto Fire Department. His current rank there is captain. And there was no reason to know his name prior to what happened. He was just a regular guy on a regular trip with a bunch of friends, observing an annual tradition of going on a ski trip. This is Michelle McQuig. She's a journalist with the Canadian Press. Okay, so take me to the beginning of the story. When it started coming across your desk, what did you know at first? Literally all we knew is that he had gone missing in Lake Placid. He'd been on a ski trip with some coworkers and friends, and he'd gone missing and they were not able to find him. Toronto firefighter Danny Filipides vanished. The search ramped up. Everybody's looking over the edge and trying to see if they could find something, a color jacket, anything, but uh, so far I don't think they found anything. And it became a huge search. Helicopters, state troopers and ground searches are underway for the third day. So all we would find out would be things like, okay, state police in New York are involved. All right, now there's a contingent of firefighters. We have an extensive search um, that's been covering the mountain from summit to base. There are 140 people involved in the search. Family members heading out to Lake Placid from Toronto to try and assist. Okay, now there's some more state authorities involved. This is a time that we're obviously hopeful for a very positive outcome. Um, You know, I'm sure it's hard on all our members. There was no word of where he'd gone. Just with every day, without a report, you knew that the search had not been successful. What were some of the early theories about what had happened to him? Truly, there was so little to go on that there was no sense in speculating. There hadn't been a sense of any sort of major avalanche or anything like that, but it's a ski trip, so anything could have happened. Uh, There was no sense of whether or not there had been an injury, whether foul play was involved. There were really no answers, and not a lot of people were talking as the search was unfolding. It didn't really come out until they found him. When he very unexpectedly was found, but in the absolute last place anyone would have expected. It was six days between when he was first reported missing and when he turned up in Sacramento. Wow. It's the kind of story that is genuinely hard to wrap your head around. This is not a scenario that plays out very often. You definitely don't hear every day about someone going missing in one part of the country and surfacing on the other side six days later. But that's not even the weirdest part of this story. That honor would be reserved for this detail. It's that when Danny turned up six days later on the opposite side of the country, he had virtually no memory of how he got there. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today's story, it raises a lot of questions. Like, what happened? During those six days, how does someone get from Lake Placid, New York, to Sacramento, California, and not remember it? And as journalists, how do you tell a story when the person it happened to doesn't know what happened? And that's what led us to Michelle. 
because Danny's disappearance made national news. But when he got back, only one journalist was granted an interview. Michelle. So how did you come to interview him? So because the Canadian press is the National Wire Service and has access to many media outlets across the country, the union decided to allow me to conduct the only interview with him in the days immediately following his return to work. So can you tell me about that interview? You know, how did he seem to you? I spoke to him about six months after he disappeared. I spoke to him in uh, mid to late August. So the story had sort of faded off the radar, but there were still lots of questions. And when I got there, he was very affable, very friendly, um, obviously a little nervous. So what did he tell you? The way I decided to do it was to ask him to approach it chronologically and just walk me through what happened to the best of his knowledge. Michelle interviewed Danny at the headquarters of the Firefighters Union. It was a hot day in summer, so you can hear the air conditioner in the background. This is the first time these tapes have ever been heard publicly. It's also the only account of Danny's experience that he's shared. Okay, so I will start with a couple of just more formal questions, just to sure. establish a few basics, if that's okay. But then I want you to just kind of tell me what happened. Sure. Take me then to the afternoon of the 7th and exactly what happened. How did it all begin? It was our final day. The conditions were great. Physically, nothing was amiss. You were were fine. You felt normal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't remember how this all began, but what friends had told him was he was hanging out in the middle of the mountain, White Face Mountain and Lake Placid. Uh, There's a a lodge about halfway up the slope, and he discovered that he did not have his cell phone. I thought, you know, I'm going to just zip down and and get my phone, which I kind of thought was in the car. So uh, that's what I said to one of the guys that I was just going to zip down and get my phone and come back. Because at the end of the day, we're going to meet uh, probably around 3, 3.30 and just uh, celebrate our last day there, take some pics, take some fun videos, and, and then ski down the rest of the day. And that's why I went down on my own. Usually we ski in groups of six, seven. So I just thought I'd zip down and get my phone. Okay. What happened on the way there? That's when a lot of things changed went down the hill and uh, tell you the truth, a lot of that part there, I, I actually don't remember at all. And that was the last anyone saw of him. And memory is inherently unreliable, fascinating, and fluid. When you add these genuine gaps in his memory into the mix, you wind up with an account that's sort of approximate. But he believes he fell, because he does. what he does remember is coming to in the snow, in the dark. I woke up cold, sore, headache. I guess I'd fallen. I felt like it was dusk. So he made his way to a lodge, and he does remember this, a lodge that turned out to be closed and dark and unpopulated at the time. Upon finding the lodge empty and deserted, he figured he needed to get into town. I just thought if I see a shuttle, um, someone I knew or something, and just to try and get a ride back, I wouldn't characterize it as a bad dream, but it really just felt the confusion was 
just not normal. That my car's not there, the lodge is closed. It really got a little overwhelming. And, um, and I think that's when I'm assuming, you know, I hailed uh, or, you know, put my arm up or something like that just to hail a ride um, back into town. And again, this is where the memory starts to really fail. He remembers getting into a truck that was warm, and he suspects he would have asked to go to town, but he's not sure what transpired there. Do you remember who picked you up? I just, honestly, I remember climbing into a warm vehicle. I don't know if I said anything. I don't really recall. So who would this driver have been? Long-haul truckers, perhaps, um, who may have been happy to have someone else on board uh, to allow them to complete the route faster if if, if they were able to say that there's someone here who could theoretically operate a vehicle. But has anyone come forward saying, you know, I picked that guy up? No, no one has. I asked Danny if he remembered the guy. He had a name that he seemed to recall, knowing, of course, that his memory was not especially reliable. And he'd given that name to authorities, uh, but it's a pretty generic name. And to my knowledge, unless there have been some developments in the U.S., that trucker has not been located. Do you remember talking to the driver that you were riding with? I just remember him asking me uh, if I'm okay, how am I doing? And uh, I honestly don't remember full conversations that I had, but I just know that... uh, I think at that time I still had my ski boots on. My next memory was at the side of uh, maybe like a truck stop area. And just the movement, uh, right away I, um, I threw up. There's long intervals where he doesn't remember what happened. Uh, he thinks he probably slept a good deal in the back of the cab. When things start to come back more into focus is he remembers apparently being told, okay, right now we're in Utah. That really rang uh, a chord with me because I've never really been out west uh, in the U.S. before and uh, realizing uh, that I'm not in a good spot. Like, I'm just not. I'm in a truck. I'm way out of my jurisdiction of comfort. Things didn't make sense. Uh, I definitely lost a lot of time, or the perception of time, in those five days. I do specifically remember him saying, this is the end of the line, this is it. You're in Sacramento, and just being dropped off. That was quite a shock. I mean, that is the opposite side of an entire country. That's thousands of kilometers away. No one had any reason to look there. He had no tie to the area. It was completely out of the blue. So what did you do from there? Well, I had um, my ski stuff on and it was pretty warm and um, I just tried to get my bearings of having never been out that way in my life. And he has some recollections of wandering through Sacramento, not sure of what to do. Honestly, all I thought about was just trying to call home, call my wife, try and get my head around that. He was trying to obtain a phone at that point, 
And he does remember trying to go and purchase one, and a lot of people were leery of selling him a phone when he didn't have any ID on him. All he had was a credit card. And a snowsuit. And a snowsuit, yeah. He definitely would have caught a striking figure, I'm sure, walking into some of these stores. Uh, In the end, though, he was able to obtain a cell phone, and he was scrolling around, and... I punched in, uh, I think, Whiteface, I guess, Whiteface Mountain, and then uh, I think that's when I came to the realization uh, I was a missing person. He saw reports of his own disappearance online. He had not known, apparently, how long he'd been gone or how massive the search had become. Eventually, he hitched a ride out to the airport and he'd been struggling to remember even some basic phone numbers, like his wife's contact information. Um, eventually, he did remember, and he called her from the airport. I just remember the waves of emotion and and everything, and uh, I just felt... <sighs> it's just another part of the dream. It just did not feel real. It just it felt amazing, euphoric. He then spoke to his wife briefly and then was put back on the phone with this other firefighter who was urging him to call 911. So I, I hung up and, and I called 911 and just told him what he said. I'm a missing person from upstate New York and I'm so-and-so, Danny Filipitas, and I need assistance. And that's when police were able to locate him at the airport. We are currently awaiting Danny's safe return to the Lake Placid area so that we can speak with him. At this point, we want to assist Danny in getting back the last six days of his life, and we ask that no one jump to any conclusions. So, after all of this, after being the journalist who was able to speak to him, the only one, I mean, holding on to your journalistic skepticism, what do you think in all of this? Is there any part of you that doubts the story he told you? As a journalist, it might have been a little more satisfying if, let's say, the police had been able to track down the truck driver and we'd been able to get that account. Theories abounded in the days that he initially went missing. And a lot of people figured this might have been a case of a guy trying to walk away from his life and maybe start over or a relationship elsewhere that had gone wrong. Who knows? That that kind of speculation, uh, you don't need to dive too deep into social media to imagine some of the places that speculation may have gone. Um, one thing, though, that was verified and, and where there, one thing that could be checked was, it was credit cards. There was no plane ticket. So getting out there in a, in a five or six day time frame, if you're going by road, that hangs together. It's one of those things where you can ask yourself a thousand different questions and speculate in myriad ways as to what you might have done differently. But there are other things that that stand out as well. The fact that there were various police forces involved in a huge multi-thousand dollar search that would have been pinned on him had there been any sort of sense of wrongdoing or criminal activity or anything of the sort. Nothing like that happened. No charges were laid. That, to me, uh, definitely does communicate the fact that there, it may be just exactly as, as the medical experts theorize, concussion, that he had fallen, he had hit his head, 
and that that was what had caused a lot of not only the physical symptoms like the dizziness and the nausea and whatnot that he'd been experiencing, the headaches, but the amnesia as well. And that was something that I found interesting was in speaking with those who have some expertise in concussion after the fact. I was not aware that amnesia is actually considered a fairly common symptom of concussion. Yes, this is a thing I am learning right now. Exactly. you're telling right? me this. Because you, you, you hear about this and you really wonder, is that too simplistic a response? What it what really happened here? Right? Amnesia seems like this thing that happens in soap operas. Or cartoons or something. Firefighters on ski trips. Totally. And yet... We do recognize that concussions can produce amnesia, not in everyone. It happens maybe in 10% of cases. I'm Charles Tatter. I'm a brain surgeon. I work at the Canadian Concussion Centre. This is the guy that Michelle called up when she was looking into Danny's story. Charles did not examine Danny. Danny told Michelle that he went through extensive medical testing, but for confidentiality reasons, we obviously couldn't talk to his doctors. Charles has been studying concussions for 20 years, and he's seen lots of concussions that have led to amnesia. Sometimes the amnesia is only one second. They could last for uh, hours or even days although that is unusual. Danny was missing most of six days. In this particular case, what I would want to know, if I was examining him, I would say, do you remember the head injury? Did you hit a tree? Did you hit another skier? Did you lose balance and your head hit the hard snow, for example? Any of those could cause a concussion and subsequent amnesia. Danny doesn't remember falling or hitting his head. He told Michelle that's just his best guess for what happened. I do think that this is compatible with a concussion with the associated amnesia, but it is unusual. So what if it's something else? There is another theory. My name is Dr. Jennifer Ryan. I am senior scientist and director of scientific and academic affairs at the Rotman Research Institute at Baycrest. Jennifer's training is in cognitive neuroscience and cognitive psychology, and she has her own theory about what might have happened to Danny. This also has an element to it that is, to me, a bit reminiscent of what we call a dissociative amnesia or a psychogenic fugue. A fugue. F-U-G-U-E. In a fugue state, the person is conscious, but they become deeply confused about who they are. They have no memory. So in such cases of of this kind of amnesia, uh, people usually experience some kind of traumatic event or have some, some kind of ongoing emotional disturbance in their life. And the brain's reaction to this is to essentially sort of short-circuit memory. The one question that keeps coming up for me with Danny is, if he hit his head hard enough to lose six days, then how did he get up off the slope? How did he hitchhike his way onto a truck? 
How and why did he travel across an entire country with that kind of head injury? A fugue would account for some of that. Firstly, because it's not contingent on an injury. It's psychological. In such cases, this isn't a result of a brain damage per se, but it's a, it's a reaction to uh, emotions um, or mental health state that has just gotten to be a bit too much. There's nothing physically wrong in the brain, um, but for whatever reason, the person has difficulty remembering who they are and where they are. Charles says that the level of concussion doesn't necessarily correlate to a certain amount of amnesia. It's not like the harder you hit your head, the more amnesia you'll get. It's not that simple. So this alone does not indicate a fugue over a concussion. But then there is this other really weird thing about fugue states. There is usually an element of travel that is involved. So people tend to relocate from one place to another uh, without any knowledge of how they got there and sometimes with a, a, a loss of identity of who they are and who their loved ones are. So they typically just happen to remember essentially starting in that new location. They often don't remember the travel period itself. So we really have no idea what the motivations are, what the intentions are, what the thought process is during that travel period. So if this was a fugue, what might have set it off? It could have been that the head injury was sort of the last straw for this gentleman, that perhaps this was just the event that set off the uh, the fugue state. But in such cases, it, it's sometimes not necessarily a dramatic event that might set off this this fugue state, but perhaps a, a, a sort of last straw. You know, this is just accumulation of a number of different uh, issues or circumstances in one's life that that ultimately leads to um, this kind of breaking point. Danny is no longer commenting on this story, and neither is the firefighters union. So we may never know if there was a sort of last straw that led him to travel the country for six days. But if Jennifer's theory of cumulative stress, of trauma building on top of itself is right, then maybe this was in some way connected to Danny's work as a firefighter. I think it's it's a possibility. Um, those are very stressful and demanding jobs. And I think even if it's perhaps not affecting him dramatically on a day-to-day -day scale, that there still could be some lingering effects that could that could happen from just uh, seeing traumas over over one's lifetime. This is actually really, really quite rare. It does not happen very often. The thing is, we can't diagnose Danny from a distance. It doesn't work that way. But what happened to him raises all kinds of questions about what our brains are capable of. You know, it is one of the more fascinating things that can happen to memory that um, whole segments of memory can be wiped out. And often we, we just don't understand why it's more prolonged in some people um, as, as in this person. But the bottom line, it's still an educated guess as to 
exactly what was the underlying phenomenon here. We just have no idea. And it, you know, it may have been something emotional that just set off this fugue piece, or it could have just been garden variety disorientation following a concussion. Um, But it opens up, I think, a, a lot of new and interesting questions for everyone. So what's happened to him since he's returned? The focus was really on recovery. When he got home, he was just trying to sort of reconstruct what happened. He seemed to have made peace with a lot of it. By the time we spoke, he was he seemed happy to be back at work. He said that he's been, he feels it's brought him closer to his family. I'm gathering speaking with him couldn't possibly answer all of your questions. Can't even answer all of his own questions. That's exactly right. There's a lot that he's had to resign himself to the fact that he simply will not know. Um, A lot of what he was able to tell me wasn't even stuff that he recollected himself. It was stuff that had been reconstructed for him by people who might have been able to theorize, for instance, where he could have fallen, which lodge he went to, friends who were able to remember what he said to them as to why he left the slope. So... His account was a real patchwork of genuine recollections that themselves may have been unreliable, as well as events that have been pieced together for him. Like, the story is utterly bizarre. I don't think anyone's ever going to question that or Mm -hmm. characterize it differently. He doesn't dispute the strangeness of the whole situation. Yeah, we'll just never know. But like nuts to us never knowing, Danny will never know. That's just it. And that's been something he's had to really wrestle with is understanding the fact that there is a limit to the knowledge he can acquire around this whole huge episode in his life. That there will be answers that he will never uncover. And that can't be easy. I'm still shocked. Like, I, I mean, I'm back to work. I feel great. But, you know, you forget about it for a few days and then someone or something jogs your memory and then you you think back at it and it's still uh, still overwhelmingly like shocking to like that it happened that story was produced by veronica simmons with me ac Rowe. It was based on the original recording by Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press, with additional reporting and mixing by Veronica. It first aired in February of 2019. That episode of The Doc Project was produced by Veronica Simmons, Allison Cook, and me. Althea Manassen and Jonathan Orr were our digital producers. Our senior producer was Jennifer Warren. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.